0: Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. It can be easy to fashion a version of Jesus to fit our political views, to blur the lines between hope promised in a political campaign with the hope that we cling to in Christ. But believe it or not, Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican or even an Independent. So how can we avoid politicizing Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today with our guest, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. Pastor Richard is the pastor of St. Luke's Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. He is also the author of Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up, 12 False Christs. Welcome, Pastor Richard.
1: Hey, it's good to be here, Elizabeth.
0: I'm glad to have you here. How's everything?
1: Good, good, good. Just getting off some vac- vacation time here. So getting back in the grind of things here uh, in good old Minot, North Dakota.
0: Well, it's it's probably a little cooler in Minot than it is in St. Louis right now.
1: Well, so. I don't think I don't think it's as nearly <laughs> as humid as you guys get down in St. Louis.
0: This is very true. Yeah. So, um, that's 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 a good thing. So it's really hard to escape the headlines surrounding politics these days, and everywhere you turn, there's either a headline, a social post, a conversation at the water cooler about pick your election from the presidential election on down. And while Jesus doesn't have a political agenda for the United States, he isn't apathetic or dismissive about it either. And neither should we be. So how should we as Christians, why should we care about what happens in the political sphere?
1: Yeah, well, very simply stated, um, this is actually covered in the small catechism. In the small catechism, there is in the what's called the table of duties at the very end. Uh, we hear about our responsibilities as Christians in this realm of, really, if you kind of look at this realm as a family, which is going to be kind of that family, that section has maybe a son or a daughter or a parent or a grandparent. So we have that 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 sphere of the family. Then there's also that sphere of the church, which we would obviously understand that there's that realm of the church. And then Luther goes on in the catechism, catechism to show that there's this realm of the state. And these these three things, the government the family and the church are what we call the three estates or the three spheres uh, that we function in as Christians. And so we don't merely just operate in the realm of uh, the family uh, apart from the church. And we don't merely operate in the realm of the church and that's it. Uh, we function as citizens and participants of all three of these spheres. And so we're called to be faithful fathers and moms and grandparents and children. Uh, faithful church uh, persons, uh, pastors, parishioners, and they were also called to be faithful citizens. Uh, indeed, there is that uh, realm of the state, the realm of the government, uh, which we, we, we have to add that it was instituted by God. Uh, we hear from the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, it's instituted by God uh, for the sake of enacting justice in our land and keeping peace and order. Uh, but we're definitely part of that uh, citizenship as well, um, that kingdom of what we call the kingdom on the left, which is that government, the state, and the kingdom of the right, which is the church, as well as having our uh, that sphere of our family as well. All three of those we, we uh, walk within.
0: So as we walk within those three spheres, and focusing specifically on the civic realm right now, how can we avoid crossing the line and confusing God's plan and our vocation with Jesus and changing how we view Jesus in light of that. How can we avoid warping our perception of Jesus?
1: Yeah, again, it comes back to more specifically in talking about that left-hand kingdom, which is the kingdom of the state, and then that right-hand kingdom, which is the church. We want to understand uh, that we want to keep them distinct. They're they're, they're distinctive kingdoms with distinctive purposes. Um, Perhaps maybe just the best way to kind of distinguish those two is kind of do a little compare and contrast. And so if we think of the kingdom of the left, we think of the American flag uh, as maybe kind of representative of that kingdom of the left. And then the kingdom of the right, we think of the altar, right? The altar and the church, Uh, the kingdom of the left, we can call the state and the kingdom on the right, the church, Um, the kingdom on the left is going to operate by the sword uh, and laws and justice. The kingdom on the right is going to be that word and sacraments, and it's going to function with forgiveness and salvation. And so Again, we've got to be very careful that we we don't diminish them because they're both instituted by God. So we're not going to simply say, well, the church uh, is 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 lower than the state or the state is uh, lower than the church. They are separate, distinct kingdoms for the purpose of ultimately our salvation, good order and salvation and so forth. Now, where things get in a trouble here is uh, with all things, when we come to making false Christ, what can happen? is when we take Jesus, and we either subtract from Jesus, or we add to Jesus, or we think of a blender, we take a blender, we mix the two kingdoms together, and we hit blend, and we make a nice smoothie, right? And then we can no longer distinguish between where the left-hand kingdom starts and ends, and where the kingdom of the right starts and ends, and you kind of have this blending together of, of the state and the church where they kind of up together, and that's that's what an old school word, what we call a theocracy. And then that gets really confusing. Is is the pastor there to enact a law? You know, is is he the sheriff? Or is the pastor there to uh, deliver God's gifts of word and sacrament? And it gets really, really confusing. Uh, Another way to think about this too, is also how we as Lutherans, we embrace that law and gospel. Again, uh, we want to make sure that we don't blend law and gospel together. We want to have them distinctively spoken. Uh, There's Mount Sinai, right? For law, and there's Mount Calvary for the gospel. Two separate two separate mountains with two distinct purposes, uh, which is ultimately aimed the benefit of mankind, uh, to drive us to repentance and then to give us faith. And it's the same thing with the kingdom of the left and the kingdom of the right, uh, to keep good order, uh, to keep justice in our land with the state, and then to deliver forgiveness and life and salvation in that kingdom of the right.
0: And looking back to Jesus's time, Politicizing him was nothing new, correct? Or view, viewing Jesus as more than just simply our Savior. At the time, they were looking looking for him. Correct me if I'm wrong, but looking to Jesus as almost a political Savior as well.
1: Yeah, I, we think about this. The disciples. It's easy. I mean, it's easy to go back and pick on the disciples. You know, <laughs> it, it. It. You can look back at them and you can get hindsight, you know Monday, Mo- Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Yep. you can look back at the disciples and get after them. But we have to keep in mind uh, Jesus was over and over and over describing uh, why he was going to Jerusalem. Uh, we think in Matthew chapter twenty, uh, they're going towards Jerusalem and the uh, sons of uh, Zebedee, right? Uh, they're, they're theyre they're on the way to Jerusalem and and I'm gonna loosely paraphrase this. The disciples were like, oh, Jesus, um you know, when you get to Jerusalem, and you topple all the religious leaders, and when you topple the Roman Empire, and when you set things right, and you're sitting on your throne, we want to sit right next to you. We want to be in power. We want to be up high. We want to be in that ruling class with you, with that new kingdom, and that new power, and that new glory. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, you do not understand what you are wishing. Can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink? Uh, and so forth. In other words, he, he, Christ approached Christ, Uh, Jerusalem to descend towards death at um, uh, Mount Calvary, Golgotha, and he was descending to die for the sins of mankind. They wanted to ascend, uh, which what we call the fancy word of theology of glory. They wanted to ascend on top for power and control and so forth. They were thinking in the realm of Jesus toppling the empires in that left-hand kingdom, uh, whereas Jesus was accomplishing something much grander and bigger than just merely being a king of a you know, a very temporary, uh, small earthly kingdom. His kingdom is far above all the earthly kingdoms we have uh, in history and currently present. And so, the mission of Christ is much bigger than just simply um, overthrowing an economic system or or being being uh, the, the the king of the hill of a of a, of a uh, political party. Uh, his is conquering uh, sin, death, and the devil for all of humanity, for all kingdoms of the world, uh, that we all might be buried into Christ and raised in Him.
0: How might we recognize someone who has fallen into the trap of viewing Jesus in a political way today?
1: Well, I think this comes back to, it's very simple. Um, asking the question, you know, um, obviously uh, asking the question, what verbs, right? So if we think, going back to my old uh, English days in, in high school as a terrible English student, <laughs> and uh uh, thinking about the verb, right? A verb is an action, right? So you have a, a subject of the sentence. The subject is usually the focus of, of the person, and the verb is they're doing something, and then they're doing it to someone. So the question is, you know, what what verb um, do we understand Jesus doing? And what what is Christ about? Um, is 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 Christ about bleeding and dying and uh, the forgiveness of sins, or is he about something else? And and. Now, we got to be very careful. It's not that, again, we want to, we want to affirm the left-hand kingdom uh, that is definitely in the interest of us as Christians to uh, vote well, to be well-informed voters, uh, to voice our opinion about uh, ethics that have gone wrong in society. Um, however, when it comes to the church, the, the primary message of the church has to be, it has to be Christ bleeding and dying and forgiving of sins. Uh, because when I look up in this world and I listen to all the different news channels and I listen to all the different political shows and the radio programs and so forth, and even unfortunately in so many churches, I don't hear the message of the gospel. Now, when I say gospel, not the good news of toppling kingdoms, but the good news of Christ toppling sin, death, and the devil, uh, the good news of Christ satisfying the wrath of God for us as sinful humanity. I don't hear that message as much as we ought. And so the church... Uh, we're, we're not exclusively that message of of the forgiveness of sins, but it better be the primary uh, because we're not hearing it elsewhere. And so if your Christ that you are talking about is all about a poli- pol- political action or some sort of social justice and not about the forgiveness of sins, then I would question maybe if you're a little off-center or you maybe have to get realigned to the, the main purpose of Christ. Again, you didn't go to Jerusalem to topple uh, the, the religious uh, Pharisees or uh, throw Pilate off his throne, he went to die and bleed and rise again.
0: When we encounter someone who has taken that point of view, how can we lovingly bring them back along and help help them understand the real Jesus as as opposed to the false one?
1: You know, I, I I'm kind of a fan of the old um, what's called the old Socratic method, right? Uh, you, you know, these old uh, philosophers, right, that existed before Christ. You have uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And uh, now, keep in mind, they were Greeks; they weren't Christians. But Socrates was pretty pretty great because he would just ask questions. You know, and I I've been kind of a fan of asking questions. Um, and when you ask questions of an individual. You can do it without um, intimidating them. You can do it without uh, coming across as a jerk. Uh, Pardon me how I say that, but coming across as an arrogant jerk. You can just simply ask questions, you know. Uh, So so tell me about uh, this philosophy or this political thing or or how maybe if they're they're accentuating Christ in regards to maybe a politicized Jesus, tell me more about that. And then have them explain it. Oftentimes what happens in our culture, unfortunately, is that uh, many times, and I'm guilty of this myself, we all too easily are just uh, parroting what we hear. You know, we hear something on the news or we hear something on a radio program. And then we get drawn into the emotion, the drama of our culture. And we just repeat these talking points without even really thinking about it. So if somebody does that, I would say, ask a question. What do you mean by what you're saying there? Which really forces us to contemplate the words that we're using. Do we know what we're saying? And then once we contemplate that, how, how, do, we, how do we derive that to be true? Where, where do we base that upon? And ultimately, that has to come back to God's holy word and to the word of Christ. Um, And oftentimes, we will put words into Jesus's mouth, or we will aspire and affirm things uh, that simply cannot be backed up by the Bible. And uh, so that's where you can very lovingly and kindly ask people to, where where did you learn that to be true? Where where are you basing that upon? And uh, oftentimes, very, very quickly, you will find that sometimes individuals will base their opinions, spiritually speaking, off of talking points and culture rather than uh, the holy writ the scriptures uh, the word the bible that is for us
0: so as christians with a vocation to our our community and our civic realm how can we be active participants not dispassionate participants but also keep focused on the way we should be doing it that honors god and that continues to keep the two kingdoms separate
1: yeah, I, I, would, I, I would say it's very, very simple. Just be thinking about, you know, the context in which you're speaking. Now, I, I, you know, Elizabeth, right now, you and I are doing, you know, visiting and you can see I have a collar on, right? And I have this collar on. And oftentimes when I'm visiting with people, I'll say, you know, if, if we're going to talk about politics and I'll actually reach up and I put my hand over the white tab and I'll just really say, <laughs> okay, now I'm not going to speak as a pastor uh, with that vocation as a church. I'm going to speak as a citizen of the United States. And as a citizen, as a Christian, and a Christian citizen, I'm going to speak now on the basis of these things. And that's where many times we can go towards the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, we think about the Ten Commandments, which are good and true. Uh, the Ten Commandments uh, are God's gifts to us. If you think about the Ten Commandments, each of those commandments are intended to protect a gift of God. So when God says, don't murder, uh, it's because life is precious. He doesn't want life to be damaged or cut short. And so we are, 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 are for life from the womb all the way to the grave. We are for life because God says life is precious. Do not murder. So therefore, uh, in, uh, insofar as we are citizens, we speak very clearly about the gift of life. Uh, and we can go through the rest of the Ten Commandments as well, talking about thou shalt not steal. We are for the gift of our neighbor's property, holding up our neighbor's property as uh, good and true and so forth. So again, it's thinking through the context of, of what uh, what what hat or what what sphere I'm speaking from, and then there's going to be a time and place as a citizen, uh, as a citizen, and also as a family member where that confession of the church comes about uh, in our vocations as we confess Christ as well. Uh, simply understanding uh, those contexts. So again, it's it's distinguishing the sphere and the context we are in and how we speak. And I would think that very, very importantly, the 10 commandments are a wonderful tool for us to study in that realm of that left-hand kingdom for keeping good order and a stable society.
0: I like how you're referencing, and you didn't use this word, this is my word, but there's an intentionality to our behavior an intentionality to the words we use and thinking about things. So not mindlessly parroting comments not mindlessly behaving but acting intentionally for the good of our community and our families and those that we encounter right
1: you know and, and and all many times when when I'm you know out and about in the community or if I'm on an airplane visiting with somebody if I don't have my caller my my clergy tab on um, I can visit with a person about things within the state and um, and I will not even bring in up bring up the name of Christ at all. Now, I'm not saying we, we don't. you know, I'm not saying we, we omit Christ from speaking Christ in the, in that realm of the state. But what I am advocating for is that uh, there's a sense where that left-hand kingdom does function as the rule of law for good order, and you can talk all about ethics, uh, what is right and what's wrong, according to the law as an informed Christian. And then when a person says to you, why, why, why are you so much for this gift of life?" You say, well, life is a gift. Uh, and well, why is it a gift? Well, God says it's a gift. The fifth commandment says thou shalt not murder because life is precious. Well, why is life precious? Well, because Christ looked at every life and he said, that's worth dying for. That life is worth dying for. So every life on this planet, Christ bled for, and he died for. That's why life has this intrinsic value. Not only that, uh, the scriptures say that we're created in the image of God. See, So we can start from that realm of the state and we can work our way back towards that confession of Christ. Uh, But again, yeah, remembering the sphere and remember the purpose of the kingdoms um, and that that purpose of the right-hand kingdom is the word and sacraments. That purpose of the left-hand kingdom is to legislate good laws, um, to keep good order, uh, and for the sake of justice.
0: Thank you, Pastor Richard, for spending some time with us today to help us keep focused on the real Jesus. If you would like to learn more about recognizing false Christs that are in the world and culture visit cph.org backslash real jesus at that website you will find pastor richard's book that walks through the most common false christs and not only debunks them but points you solidly to the real jesus who died and rose for our sins thank you pastor richard we appreciate your time today
1: thanks elizabeth
0: see you next time everyone Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.